Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. It's a hard time to be an artist in Miami. Fewer music venues like Churchill's are around for up-and-coming musicians to practice their craft. Rents for artist studios are like rents for the rest of us. They're going up. Wynwood is lost as an artist enclave. The next areas like Alapata are already pricing artists out. The median sale price of a home in Miami-Dade County went up more than 70% in the last four years. How can the people of a city express their creativity and their frustrations if they can't live in the place that inspires them? A big part of Alex Baina's job is trying to fix that. Alex is Miami-Dade County's Director of Public Housing and Community Development. It's his job to use county dollars to build affordable housing, but it also means thinking bigger about how our community is affected by local artists not being able to stay local. That means artists from Miami are forced to leave. Maybe it's as close as Broward or West Palm, but maybe we lose them altogether to other states. Foundations and nonprofits are trying to find a way to keep artists here. The Knight Foundation hands out grants, but how much of those dollars end up being used to pay for studio space versus the creation of art? Others, like Oolite Arts in Miami Beach, are just flat-out paying artists rent. They have a residency program where they offer $12,000 a year to offset rent. A little. Alex is going to single-handedly fix all that. Okay, maybe not, but he's going to try. Welcome, Alex. Well, thank you for having me. Tiny little job, right? Just yeah. uh, just fix all uh, affordability in <laughs> South Florida. Yeah, it's, uh, we're in a very uh, unique situation. And first of all, thank you for having me here. Oh, it's uh, our pleasure. Big fan. Always been a fan of WLRN. Oh, you know, right when on. I was younger, Channel 17 at Abuela's house was, you know, one of the channels that we always had on. Oh, right, right on. <laughs> Great. We love it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's deep in, in my my initiatives. I'm a Miami Born and raised South Miami Hospital Room 305. So this, when I oh, came, oh come back, on, come on, oh, is yeah, that true? That is true. <laughs> well, at least I say it is, right? So <laughs> who can dispute? <laughs> so you know, we're in a very unique situation here in Miami Dade County because we have grown. Mm. Uh, we uh, went from being an adolescent now we're a teenager and we're growing up. So we have now we know how expensive teens are. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we have the challenge that we live in paradise, but there's a price to paradise. We have the beautiful Atlantic Ocean to the east, and we have the beautiful Everglades to the west, and we have an urban development boundary line that prevents us from expanding of what we have available. So we need to utilize the land that we have to create density and to create opportunities, uh, not only for the residents that are here today, but for the residents of tomorrow. Right. And it's funny, you mentioned two areas that like that inspire the uh, many of the artists that we've had in here, both the Everglades, which has an, a residency, the National Parks has a residency program, and Ulite Arts to Miami Beach that has a residency program. And it's always, uh, the part that's really interesting is how artists always gravitate to areas that are affordable. There are these little pockets, whether they're in the sexiest places in, in, in a city, usually no. But it's like the places that'll be braved and help and help bring about an interest into certain areas that kind of get forgotten or get blighted. But we have less of those now, right? Um, and I'm I'm curious, like how like whether how that factors into your thinking, you know? Because ultimately, art is such describes so much of a character of a city, right? Yeah. So art is very important, uh, especially in. Uh area that we live in, uh, hmm. Miami-Dade County, uh, we have a different energy than everywhere else in the United States. Right. Uh, I say that to everybody. And traditionally, um, if you just look at how quickly we've expanded as a city, just 
25 years ago, Miami Beach was affordable. Right. To a certain extent. Yeah. Just 20 years ago, Edgewater was like, who would buy there? Right. <laughs> and you see the how we've evolved because Miami-Dade County has always had um, people coming from Latin America, always something wrong in South America, always right. something wrong in Central America. But post-pandemic, what occurred is that we started to get all of this domestic immigration. Right. People from New York. People from the Midwest. I mean, they always called South Florida the the sixth borough, right? Uh, because New York has, has had a long history of, of uh, getting fed up of the cold and coming down here. Right? That is correct. But so we plenty, but we had plenty of room for them before. We did. Yeah. And with that came a huge supply and demand imbalance, and that's what we're mm. facing right now. Mm. Um, we are a a city that was built traditionally on a suburban type of platform with lower density or higher density in certain areas, but not a lot of multifamily in this high density type of environment with the amount of population that has entered. Some say that our population has gone down 80,000. I don't know who's been on I-95 lately, but I don't see it. Yeah, they're not on 836 <laughs> with me because let me tell you, it's, it's, plenty, it's plenty full out there. It's yeah. plenty full out there. Yeah. So the interesting thing about uh, real estate, specifically, specifically multifamily and affordable housing mm -hmm. is that you're working on lagging indicators. So you're, you're gonna always a little bit of a step behind. You're always a little reacting. bit of a step. Yeah, because yeah. development and building and construction takes a few years for it to manifest itself. Mm -hmm. It's not like going, I always say, going to Five Guys and ordering a cheeseburger, fries, a shake. You eat it, you're satisfied, and you go. No, you got to go through the cycles to get there, and especially affordable and workforce housing that we work on uh, a lot every day uh, there's different funding mechanisms and capital stacks so you have to go through certain financial requirements and there's year processes two years three years to get to the final yeah product. By, by the time that hamburger's done you're not hungry anymore yeah, that's right you already you already snacked uh, but that that affects then what we talk about the creation of art you know we've always you know People from from New York for years had, had said that you know oh Miami is you know is, is lacking culture and lacking art and and Miami is in a place where it's creating an, an abundance of art, but it's being it's being it's harder to find places like Ulaid Art had this as a residency program where they pay something like twelve thousand a year um, to help offset just the rent. And like I don't know I don't know about you, but finding rent for a thousand dollars a month on the beach is uh, is not is not going to be easy. So it's it's still kind of an offset, but it's a it's a realization that like if we want to keep if you want to create art that like reflects your area, we got to keep these people here. Otherwise, who is who is telling the story of your place, right? Other than uh, developers, right? Absolutely. And one of the interesting things that we do here at Miami Dade County is all of our new developments and all of our developments in affordable and workforce housing. Mm -hmm. We have an art and public places legislation, so they all have an art component to it, and we work with local artists. Uh, with local institutions to help us create that story within the buildings. And, oh, okay. How and you, does that work? Tell me about that. Yeah, so, you know, it's part of the process, so they have to have a component of art in, in the community. You may see it when you're on I-95 and you're driving down, you see these buildings that have the Carlos Brito thing. That's an affordable housing development. Right, right. That we incorporate. Although Carlos Brito, didn't, I don't think he has to, He has to. Uh, Romero Brito doesn't have to worry about uh, about paying his rent. I think he's okay. But <laughs> but uh, Carlos Brito, whoever that is, that guy is going to have a problem paying his rent. Uh, but so, yeah. So is there a way to think about that? Like, hey, if you're going to cloud our skyline with a 40-story building, maybe you need to give back some not uh, affordable space that can also be used for art. Or maybe you have to incorporate 
some art into this and maybe there's a board that picks what art gets used there and not necessarily you know whoever the developer's friend is who who picks the artist I, talk to me about those discussions about about finding a way to weave art into um into the dollars and cents of developing a city so that's that's a very good point so what we try to do is we try to work collaboratively with everybody in the city mm -hmm. everybody that that's a stakeholder uh to um try to create the most beautiful skyline that we have mm -hmm. so architects will argue that we're artists too right no absolutely <laughs> so absolutely. We're, we're trying to create our buildings with certain functions and, and certain aspects to help build but working with different participants of um our of our community uh we could have those discussions i think it's important for everybody to have a voice at the table on what they would like to see i think we also need to get creative on when we are developing and we are building uh new communities here in, in miami-dade county that we have set asides for certain um, members uh, of our workforce and members of our community because we need to keep the fabric of our community here right. because if not, we're going to lose what makes Miami, Miami, and that's our soul. Right. I mean, that's that's such a task. It's easier said than done, right? Like saying, oh, okay, yeah. great, we got to make affordable housing. The question is, how do you do that, right? And that's that's the whole key to your job. I'm curious what solutions you've seen work in other cities, in other places, in other states, what things have you seen that really uh, moves the needle in a place that is um, as in demand as a place like Miami? So we're working on a lot of good things. Uh, our mayor, uh, Madam Levine Cava, she's uh, very innovative and she's at the forefront of trying to bring as much housing as we can. So we've created a lot of things uh, locally mm -hmm. to help expedite the construction. So we have a waiver of permit impact fees, we have density bonuses, we have uh, zoning requirements that we're able to build more if you are de delivering affordable housing. Uh, we've created incentives uh, from all over in terms of not only financially, but physically on what you can or can't build. But it is uh, something that's going to take all of us uh, because of the challenges that we have. We're in a very unique situation because we have the highest interest rates on record in mm -hmm. the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. We have the highest construction costs on record in the last 20 years. And labor is a challenge. And then we have these beautiful things that uh, come on an annual basis, which are hurricanes that increase our insurance mm -hmm. premiums <laughs> 20, 30 percent sometimes right. and adds to the overall operating expense and the overall cost of living to our community. So yeah. um, I got an easy job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and that's that's the thing is when you have those factors, usually what you're left with left with is a place that only the very wealthy to whom those market factors don't really affect, you know, uh, are the ones that are able to to purchase and afford. But then, you know, who 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 else lives in those buildings? Who else lives in those areas? Who, you know, uh, tourism is such a big part of our city. Where where is that part of of our of our economy responding? And like our public art, like the reason that people are, you know. Michael Mann created the, created the idea of a Miami downtown, you know, of a of a of a South Beach of the Miami look, the Miami color. Like artists are like at the at the core of getting people interested in coming to a place, right? It's it's building, it's it's um, reflecting that community. And I'm and I'm I, literally I'm just curious when you when you look around when you look around the rest of the country, 
are there specific projects that you've seen that you're like, that's an innovative thing, you know, uh, that just kind of strike you as you went and as you look and you do your homework and you visit different cities where was there a city or a place that you saw that did a specific thing? You're like, maybe that won't work in Miami, but what a curious idea about how to how to approach that, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways of, of looking at it from a different lens. Mm-hmm. So there there's a part of the construction and the development that you could use innovative techniques, innovative resources uh, prior to me uh, coming to the county. Mm-hmm. Well, I was at the county, I went to the private sector, then I came back to the county, mm-hmm. is that uh, we standardized a lot of our building. We used uh, technology, we used robotics, we built quicker, we built faster, we built uh, almost in a prefabricated type of fashion. In the, which, pr- in the private sector? Yes. Oh, interesting. I worked for Resia. So, uh, and there's other mechanisms to help you deliver that because there are certain things that we can do as a government to facilitate development, but the development community also has to take on the task of changing their way of building. They gotta be more resourceful. They gotta be more innovative. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Step two is looking at different dynamics. So you have the, the you, you gotta think about it strategically. You have uh, one, one A, one B. The long-term planning is you gotta build more. You gotta get that equilibrium between supply and demand. Mm-hmm. But what's the low-hanging fruit? Helping those that are here today. So how do you do that? Maybe you create some type of mechanism uh, that other municipalities use that they use a hotel tax. Uh, they use a bed and beverage tax. Whatever it may be that you get other resources in that could almost work as a stopgap and uh, provide uh, almost a subsidy uh, to not only the person that's renting, but maybe the owner, the landlord that is delivering the units to help offset that till everything gets to the point that uh, everything catches up. Because right now we're in a in an area that the cost of living has gone up 137% over the last decade, depending on where you're at. Wow. Wages haven't gone up 137%. Yeah. And that's the biggest factor. And that's the thing that nobody, or not nobody, the, those of us who work for a living uh, want to hear, otherwise don't, that, that wages have to go up, right? Wages need to go up. They need to catch up with the cost of living. Um, but that's not something you can have an effect over. You can't have an effect on it. You just got to make sure that it's, uh, the, the most beautiful thing that's happened over the last year and um, affordable housing has always been uh, uh, for the elderly, people that made 25000 less or below. For the first time, in, at least since I've been on this planet, it's across the board. Uh, I always mm-hmm. say this story. My wife's a, a teacher. If we were in a dual-income household, teachers are having difficulty finding a quality place to live mm-hmm. as well. Right. Uh, people that are helping our sick patients are having a difficult time finding a place to live. People in the art industry. So it's a large spectrum of everybody being affected by the affordable housing crisis that we are facing today. Uh, you know, I think it takes maybe a Miami guy to fix a Miami problem, right? So tell me a little bit, of, give us your Miami credentials. Give me a little bit about your background. I mean, you understand this community because you're a guy who grew up here, right? Born and raised, as I said earlier, South Miami Hospital. Uh, Went to elementary school. My parents are Cuban. My abuelos are Cuban exiles. Uh, I grew up to have the luxury of being raised in the best of both worlds. So, mm. uh, with a Cuban background, but 
living the American dream. Right, right. And Miami has changed so much from when, you know, I was... When your abuelos got here, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, just outside the door here of our studio, you know, this was two buildings. Aunque pasa USA, when it starts going in and you just see the Miami skyline, it's three buildings. Right. uh, To where we are today. And uh, we've just really got put on the map. uh, And it's a good thing, but we're going through our growing pains because we aren't built... We weren't designed for the growth that we're experiencing today. So it's it's an amazing thing. I always tell my friends, we're living through history. A hmm. hundred years from now, this day that we're going through right now, we're going to be talking. Remember when Miami was in, and then it just blew up? Yeah. We're like New York in the 1920s, 1930s. That's how we're going to be talked about. So it's, it's an amazing time to be here in Miami and see everything that's occurring here hmm. and all the wonderful things that are going to occur in the future. I, you know, it takes to, to be in the position that you're in, whereas you're looking, you're having that long view and feeling about how it's going to affect that city. Like how we're, if you're in the middle of shaping the city and, and how the arts and public culture, like how that affects the culture of a city, right? Um, I'm curious what it takes to develop that, that idea of uh, public service, right? So what's your background? Like how did you become interested in public service? Did you already, did you always know that you were going to like work in government and work in these kind of roles or? Yeah, so I, I've always liked politics. Uh, I've always been involved. I was wanted to leave the world a better place than when I got here. It was instilled uh, in me since I was a little kid, essentially. And uh, I started uh, back in 2006, 2007, working for Miami-Dade County. I was director of public housing at that time. Uh, I got an opportunity to go to the private sector and really learn and hone my skills on, in terms of the development and what it takes to get there. What, what did you learn working in the, because there, it's two different worlds, right? And, and as, especially as it relates to, one is trying to build as much as you can for the least as you can and get the most for it. And, and the, the government aspect sometimes doesn't align with that. It's like, how do we make this place the most comfortable and usable for the people who are going to live here? So what did you learn in the private sector that, what are some of the things that you learned that you felt like, oh, this is a thing that I don't see happening in the way that government operates that we could do more of? So one of the main things, and that's one of the things that we're working on now as, as a department is structure, organization, mm-hmm. and being in line with the technology that's available to you. Uh, the real world moves at a quicker pace than, than government does on mm-hmm. what resources are available to you. It's not a fault of anything that, that government does. It's just the way that, that it works. But we have to be more innovative. we got to start thinking at the speed of business. we got to think 10 years ahead we got to think 20 years ahead and we got to make policy decisions and we got to make strategic uh, intentional strategic uh, design and planning implementation to get us there because if not as we were discussing earlier we could become San Francisco we could become one of these larger areas where yeah everybody makes $200,000 but every house is $10 million right right (laughs) and then you don't have that the service industry there to help you go to the beautiful hotel and order a drink and have a nice dinner, have a nice lunch because you have nobody there to serve you. You know, I'm curious, your your grandparents came at a time where you could buy a house for thirty, fifty thousand dollars You know, I know my, my parents did. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what, um, like what created that sense of home for you? Like when they, when your grandparents came, what part of town did they move into? And what, like, what was that 
What did that home feel like for you? So my grandparents grew up in the road, 735 Southwest. I'm not going to say because I don't want to give somebody's address <laughs> away. Just showing up there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so they grew it, up in the roads, right? They grew up in the roads, right? And it was an area that uh, traditionally was a single family. Then you had uh, some multifamily out to the side, and you had the brickle area that was being built at that time, and that was like, oh, that's the luxury yeah, stuff. The, the roads were the were homestead of the time, or, or rather, where it was Kendall of the time. That's right. And now everything's moved west. And everything's moved west, and then part of the, the challenges that we're facing right now is that building west, because the most difficult part of Miami-Dade County right now in terms of affordability uh, is not so much the, the house prices, it's also the quality of life. Mm. And to all my... My friends that live in, in West Kendall, I apologize, but it's a nightmare if you live in West Kendall right now to come to downtown. It's an hour and a half in the car, easily. Yeah, in the morning because we don't have it, we don't have a good uh, tr- transportation system that was implemented at that time because you know uh, we built a, a nice metro rail system, but you know our predecessors thought that you know Miami ended at Dayland. At yeah, time. if you don't live near it, it doesn't. Yeah, if you don't live near it, it doesn't help you. But, but you, when you were when you were kind of you guys were growing up, uh, tell me about the life that your parents built. And like, did you start seeing like, oh, this is what my life could look like, right? Like, uh, and that's very different than what than what maybe what people are experiencing now. So tell me about that. What was life in brick uh, brickle brickle light? Yeah. Like? So so my grandfather was a doctor, right? Mm. So I always had that service uh, instilled in me to take care of other people. So my grandfather uh, would work all day at Jackson as a, oh, as, wow. as a doctor. Right down, the, would, right down the way, yeah. And he would come home, and my grandmother didn't work, but when my grandfather would come home, we had a, it's probably illegal now, but he had a consulta on the side of the house, and he would take care of Cuban children at that time that didn't have health insurance, and they would come to, oh, that's to the house on the side, and then he would make sure that they were okay. He wasn't administering medicine or anything, but he was just making sure everybody was okay and then i was always taught look out after your 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 other people always look out after them because you need to do that to make a better society what what a good example to see that that's not something that somebody somebody even has to say to you when you're seeing like what is happening with abuelo he comes home from from the hospital and he's seeing people out of the house you're learning a lesson there my learning lesson right to always make sure that um we're doing better yeah. And then, you know, my, my, my father, you know, and, and my mother, same thing, instilled a sense of pride, a sense of community and who we are and always to make sure that uh, you're looking out for not only yourself, but for everybody and to do everything right. Right. And do it in the correct way and go to church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about, uh, you know, about the arts in your life. And we can define that broadly from painting to music to uh, whatever kind of visual or performance, like how did it? How did you experience art in your life? Like when was the first time you saw a live play or things like that that stuck in your mind? So it's interesting, right? So my tia abuela, tia Ina, she was an artist, so she used mm. to draw a lot and she used to paint, and uh, so I still have some of her paintings at my house now. She used to do a lot of Cuban art. She used to do a lot of trees. So I was always interested in uh, how beautiful it is just to get a canvas and build. It's funny, you know. I have a, a son, he's seven years old. Mm. He loves watching the John Ross. Uh, Bob Ross channel. Right? Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> so his dad, yeah. look at how he does this, right? So you still that you see the in art the, in the thirty minutes. This show goes off. He builds an entire painting. So we're it watching it yesterday. He goes, "Look, watch, Mama. It's just a blank canvas, and look at what he's going to do, right?" So art, it, it it allows you to be free. It allows you to uh, 
build on thoughts it allows you to create and that's almost like construction and development is a type of art you get a empty piece of land you could visualize what you want to do there you see it step by step going up and then at the end you're delivering it to somebody that needs a housing unit and that's you know it, it's very satisfying when you're able to do that right. uh, especially when you're doing it to those that are less needy and uh yeah we did a, a grand opening uh, a few weeks back at one of our affordable housing and when the older lady came into the unit she started crying mm. right because she had never lived in a brand new unit with all these amenities right so it, it's it's very satisfying to be able to deliver that yeah that's amazing i and you know, right along those lines, you know, you have folks who maybe like where you're Thea, you know, where like if that's your bread and butter, if that's where you're passionate, you're calling, you feel like you could give to your community, right, is by doing something like that. But then you have this, you know, this tension of like, can I make a living at this? Can I find a place where I can live so that I can create this? And for a while, like artists, like I said, they find the, they find a way, they find right. places. Like Winwood, well, talk to me about that. Obviously, you've been with the county enough to see, and if you're from down here, right, you've yeah. seen what's happened in a place like that. What were the what? Talk to me about some of those factors about um, uh, allowing for spaces that people can just live in and maybe create in in their own artist studios, you know, um, and having more opportunities for that. Yeah. So, so Winwood is 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 one of those unique case studies that are going to be talked about in the future. I mean, it, it's mm. beautiful, right? It's it's a live, work, and play type of environment. Well, not as much work. That's, I think, part of the problem at Winwood, right, is that there's not a lot of... Um, well, uh, that's what it's built, uh, the concept around it is built on, right? right? right. So there, there is work. You know, you have the studios there. You, you have, uh, you know, different industries and different businesses that are operating there. But that's the ideal situation, that you could uh, live in a place where you could commute to work either by walking or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And they're, they're starting to call it 15-minute cities, right, where everything is sort of circular mm-hmm. in or around the area where, you know, you could go to school for your – you could take your kids to school, you could do the grocery shopping, you could go to the dry cleaners, and you could be home, and you don't have to leave yeah. that, that surrounding area. Yeah. And that's the way that I think long-term affordability, that's how you have to create it. Uh, Atlanta's done a pretty good job of that. Like, you go to Atlanta and – there's like a city within a city within a city, and they're more self-enclosed. Very similar to how Coral Gables was initially built. Yeah, Atlanta's repurposing a lot of buildings. They're repurposing a lot of old buildings. And and the problem with like a place like Wynwood, I think it, I think you could almost argue it's a test study for for uh, not how not to do it, but the missing key is like there's no place to live there. Like there's no... It's very there's industrial. No, yeah, and like any, anything is going to be... You know, three thousand dollars a month, like yeah. easily for anything. So, like that, that weeds out. Really, the reason, like, like that, we would go to, you know, that, you know, we'd go to Winwood to have a beer at, you know, Box Elder, yeah. which no longer exists, or to Wood Tavern, which no longer exists. You know, all these places that, that brought in a sense to create a like a, a place where you know you there would be some music or art. Yep. And those places can be replaced by like you know kind of commercial art. You know what I mean? It, it's a little bit of a it's a big it's a big job. It is a big, big job. job. But you know, p- part of the one of the interesting things that that we're seeing here in the in the dynamic of it is that traditionally, money follows art. Yeah. Yep. Money follows art. Right. So you see where there is artistic areas and there's a deep devotion and, and a nice cultural around art 
usually have high real estate, you have good industry, you have good business. It's not slime and blight, right? right. As they say. So that's that's important, and that's why it's critical that art always has to be incorporated in these developments and in the long term of how you build out. Right. You know, a good a good place to look at is a uh, place to think about is uh, is Alapata, right? Like a lot of artists then moved to Alapata, but now like now the Rebel Museum <laughs> is in Alapata. You know, yeah. they moved over their galleries and their storages and. And that area is for for a long time uh, has been has been uh, you know a little Santo Domingo, a, yep. a big Dominican community. Yep. But now I, th- I think I remember reading a few months ago it was called one of the most endangered neighborhoods in the country, which is like very scary headline type <laughs> of thing, right? But but it's legitimate, right? Like whole blocks are being bought up by you know, sometimes a single company, you know, yep. buying up three, four, ten houses, you know. Yep. And a whole community can be lost like that. So now it seems like now is a good time to like get in there and say, all right, before things spin out of control and, you know, um, we can do something here to make there be a balance. Right. Talk to me about that. Is it like a test case? Yeah. So 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 I tell everybody when you want to make a difference, get out there and be part of the difference. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to advocate for your community. You got to ensure that that those situations don't arise because they will arise and they will start happening. You're starting to see it now. Because of the locations of certain areas like Alapata, we could put Overtown in there, the proximity to where all the high high wealth development is occurring, eventually it just spreads in there. It's like the tide, right? The tide is coming in. The tide is not going out. I hear you. I mean, Little Havana, Some <laughs> uh, somebody tried to rebrand that as East Brickle or West Brickle. West Brickle. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's like a, a perfect example of that. But that's interesting is, is telling people in your community, like, hey, if you live in this community, you need to – you need to say it out loud. Yeah, you know the, what you want to see here, and that includes artists that that are living in there, right? And part of the, the major things of that that we're really focused on, and and we're focused on not only myself but our administration and the mayor is creating home ownership, home ownership opportunities. Because when you build home ownership capacity, and you're able to deliver a home ownership product, mm. that creates the community because then people have a vested interest. They're not transient. So traditionally, if you live in a community and you own in that community and your parents bought in that community or you buy in that community, you're going to have a long-term vested interest there. And that helps protect against that type of gentrification that it comes and people are just buying because nobody really owns anything and it's all for profit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we're talking about, right, is building generational wealth. Generational wealth. Ultimately. And, like, for so many years, that has been such a problem in some of those communities you mentioned, you know, Overtown and Alapata because areas were redlined. And, like, you know, maybe you couldn't own or either you couldn't afford or you weren't legally allowed to own or live there. So, like, how do you build generational wealth if you can't buy anything to begin with, even if it's just the one thing you can afford if you're not even allowed to be there? Obviously, those those, uh, those institutional government restrictions are out of the way but how do you try to encourage that like that's a mindset right that's a mindset that you have to think that you have to be in and put people in right yeah so so we're created so we we utilize we we have a couple different programs we have our first time home ownership program that gives uh, close to almost a hundred thousand dollars for down payment assistance and assistance to purchase a home Hmm. Uh, we have the infill program where we get you know those underutilized lots that are either owned by the county or we get uh, somehow through a mechanism that we're able to build homes on them and then we use a program that's called surtax where we able to lend to build those and also to purchase those so we're really uh, bullish on that 
this part of the cycle, making sure that um, because you just can't go out and build a thousand units every time. Right. So you got to take different approaches to it. So some single family home ownership, some smaller duplexes, 10 units, natural occurring affordable housing, providing incentives to, you know, somebody that may have owned a fourplex in Little Havana for the last 35 years, but they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sell because I can make two million bucks. No, hold on, don't sell. We could give you a grant. You could renovate it. You could get it up to code. You could keep it and you could rent it to somebody and you get all of these advantages not only from a property tax, but from operational and let it run. It's You think it's worth $2 million today, it's going to be worth $4 million in 10 years. So hold on, right? You convince them by, by... Like one of those everybody wins scenarios. If you make it affordable for people to live here, it'll pay off for you in the long run. That's right. Alex, I'm curious, the neighborhood where you grew up, how has that neighborhood changed? And could you afford to live there? No. <laughs> that's crazy, right? And that's everywhere. So uh, most areas were... Uh, Native Miamians have grown up or have seen, they're like, wow, what happened here? I should have not sold, I should have held. And you're seeing that more and more. And what's very interesting is that it's not unique to Miami-Dade County. Uh, It's a national problem and it's a statewide problem, but obviously because we are a higher cost area, we experience it a lot more uh, differently than everybody else. You know, just this, this past year, you know, SB 102 passed, which is a Live Local Act, which is a new way of looking at housing from a comprehensive standpoint, not only from a funding mechanism down from the state level, mm-hmm. uh, but from a zoning requirement and allowing incentives for property tax abatement. But one of the major shifts there is uh, that it allows you to gain certain, uh, you, you could go around certain zoning ramifications that were there before, uh, nimbyism and nimbyism is not in my backyard right so okay. it allowed now for you to create density and if you wanted to build affordable housing that you can build it and you just saw the first taste of it right now when at the Clevelander in South Beach right gentleman said I'm gonna build affordable housing here and the whole neighborhood said whoa not what in happened? my backyard right <laughs> everybody the- loves affordable housing but hey not here And that was the purpose of that. But that's kind of like also changing mentality, right? Like, what does it mean? Because people have a certain idea. Like, when people oppose it, they have a certain idea of what public housing is. And they're thinking, like, projects is, like, immediately what people's minds go to. And and it's like, sometimes you're talking about the people who just live here, who would be be working at the Clevelander, for instance. (laughs) You know, like, that that kind of thing. Talk to me about that, about... um, I'm curious in hearing more about... uh, community engagement to hold on to our communities like how do we how do we get people involved into building out their communities and feeling connected to it right i mean it's hard to feel connected if you've been renting in a place for 30 years right and you don't own a piece of that right yeah so you know it's it's getting involved uh being uh in tune with what's going out there with your you know your board of county commissioners if you're in a city whatever local meetings are, are taking place you know, a lot of people get these public notices in their mail and they just get them and they throw them away. They don't realize that, hey, they're planning to do a redevelopment next to you. Right. Then, it, <laughs> I mean, is that part of it? Part of it is communication, right? Is making things um, like when you get a notice, what does this mean, right? A lot of that is just kind of like basic teaching people about what that means and what's happening in the community and, and, and communicating those things, right? Yeah. And, and it's also important to, to be engaged, know what's going on. You know, when uh, I was growing up, there, there was a time that People had bumpers to vote in para que te respeten, right? Right, vote so people respect you, right, right, right. right. So be involved. Make sure that you're 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 
community leaders and the people that are in elected office are doing what's best not only for, for yourself but for your community and for the long-term success of Miami-Dade County. And I think that's what everybody wants to see. We're not a flash in the pan, even though everybody always wants to think that we're a flash in the pan. We're not, right? We'll be here for a long time, and we got to think ahead, and we got to start thinking today. We should have started thinking yesterday, but we got to think ahead because there's a lot of different variables that are happening here. Right. And it not only starts from how we're growing as a city, we have climate change, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a real thing, right? And we have to be cognizant of that, and we have to ensure that we are building sustainably and looking forward to, to not being um, in that situation where we have another hurricane Andrew come through, hopefully never does, but how will our county hold up? I think we will do very well because I think if there's anywhere in the United States that you want to be in a hurricane is Miami-Dade County. We've been built for it, right? right? We have the strongest building code in the country, but something that we have to think ahead for. Right. I, I think about, it's like a lot of things to think about, right? <laughs> like you're, you're going to work every day. You're not, your salary barely keeps up with your rent if it does at all. And now you're thinking about like, how do I get to the community meeting? Like, what does this paperwork mean? I can't think about this paperwork. I, I, you know, I need to cook dinner and go to bed and get some rest. And, you know, like that's a reality too, is that people are, especially Miami, we know is a side hustle town. People are working sometimes two and three jobs to uh, to make ends meet. And then it's like all you can do is elect, hopefully elect people that can be your voice in those things. So like that becomes so important is is being aware of how you're being represented because people are, you know, it, I can't, you know, you might not have time to go to the town meeting, you know, and, and, and say, hey, what does this provide for housing for me? You know, that's a big problem too, I think, right? Yeah, and knowledge is power and, and you know, and... Uh, I love Miami. I love my city, but you know, we could have a fun show. You could probably go around Miami and say, "Who's the uh, mayor of Miami-Dade County?" Yeah. And your six, you, you, the percentages will be fifty-fifty. Yeah. A lot of people don't know who they are. Yeah, and, civic engagement is obviously it's a big thing. And but I think a lot of that does come to like you know, people were people have long days. People have and, long days. You know, and and that and that's really what we we're talking about. You know, like wages are like you were saying are such a big issue you know if, if people could just not have to work that second job maybe you would have time to to be you know to run for school board or something you know it's crazy right so that's part of the problem and in, in, in miami right now is uh i say this that's why everybody's like up to here right you have uh, car insurance you have your car costs a thousand bucks gas is going up your groceries are going through home the roof, insurance home right? insurance yeah. Every, so everybody's up to here in their neck in yeah. the bill and then you're stuck in traffic for another hour and a half and you know used to be able to time certain things in miami like you would get in the car all right i'm gonna leave at 9 30 because there's no traffic right or i'm gonna leave at 3 right now there's traffic all the time right <laughs> so those are certain things that we have to get accustomed to and hopefully we'll build ourselves out with our with our transportation but yeah we are we have a lot of people living here in miami-dade county and we have a lot of great things happening but there's a lot of certain uh, essential things that we're that we're working on to do better and make better and hopefully uh that all will start showing in the next couple of years right you know, I'm, it, it makes me curious, like, you know, uh, this idea of, you know, should should our government, should our should our government do a better job at taking those roles? You know, like because it's if it's putting it back on people who are like we're talking about, like we're are our, our, we don't have bandwidth. Right. Is the new way of saying I don't have time. I don't have time. Um, what can what can you guys do? What can you do in your job to kind of represent them? And ultimately, that's like 
you know, the mayor comes to you, points you, and you're like, you got to be the rep for these people who are on 836 for an hour and a half in in uh, in living in the hammocks. You know what I mean? Um, so one of the things that, that we're trying to work on that, that I think is critical is communication, um, getting the word out, coming on, on shows like this and, and talking about uh, high-level items and conversational way mm-hmm. uh, we also have to do a better job of, of putting out there a lot of information that people don't understand um, because it is a complex world uh, that we live in uh, sp- especially in the housing world right there's so many different municipal there's so many different functions that we do from um, the federal level right the state level mm-hmm. the local level and how all these things play together uh, what's public housing What's Plano Ocho? What's Section A? Uh, my friend just got here and he's got he got an affordable place and I've been on a wait list for 10 years. How did that happen? So there's all these different mechanisms and it's a whole ecosystem within itself to, like how to understand. You, like streamlining those things in a place where everybody knows to look for it. You yeah. know, and that's 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 I always felt like that's like the missing piece of government is sometimes you you know you need a thing. It's kind of like the internet. Yeah. You know that if you Google it, somebody has already written about that. You know, And it's almost like that for government. Like You have a need, where can you... It's getting people to that information, right? It's getting that information to them in a way that, that really helps everybody because it's like, oh, we did this thing, but we didn't have enough... We couldn't get enough community yeah. involvement because people are busy, and now we're stuck with a thing that everybody's mad at or something, you know? So our mayor's real big. Uh, we have... a. Uh, uh, it's called the no wrong door policy. So wherever you go, we try to find a solution to where you're at. And oh, we've right. Not that. My, nobody says not my job or not my department. Yeah, it's called the wrong door. And, oh, I like you know, that. And, and she drives it home to us every day, and we're doing a better job of making sure that if – because I always tell everybody, part of our core values and, and our vision in public housing and community development is empathy. They're not calling you because they have a place to live. They're not calling you because they're well off. They're not calling you because they don't need help. They're calling you because they need help, right? right? They don't have the resources. That's why they're calling you. So you have to be empathetic to that. You got to help them find a solution. And we're in a unique place in Miami-Dade County. We get people don't speak English. Right. They speak Creole. They could speak Spanish, but they don't speak English. They don't know where to go, how to go to. They don't have a trust in government. Or, yeah, you come from a country where you don't really trust in government, right? <laughs> right, so you have to, to get that and, and go out. So we have a lot of different moving factors. You know, we have a lot of people that come to work here in our department, and they're like almost like a deer in headlights because they don't realize everything we do, we do in English, Spanish, and Creole, right? right. <laughs> well, well, here's a good one. Like, you know, in the last few minutes that we st- still have to talk about, I, I'd love for you to give us some resources. Like, what are some underused whether it's online or phone numbers, what are some resources that you were like, these are underutilized things that people should know about? 311. Okay. You call 311, it's a county informational hotline. Anything that you need, uh, anything you want to ask or any resource that you're looking for, they will lead you to the right path or they will get you the right guidance on what you need to do. A good first door, right? Good first door to knock on is 311. 311. Okay. Our MiamiDade.gov website is very good. has a lot of information uh, related to, to anything that you may be looking for. And the third is, um, that's a good one, right? But it, it's probably looking at ways on how um, you could provide us input on what we could do better, mm. our pain points. Uh, and we have the little... 
uh, form that you go online or you could call 311 and give a recommendation and we'll definitely take a look at it. Right. I'm, I'm going to give you a magic wand right now. I'm going to give you a magic wand uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say if you wave that magic wand, you're going to get your way. What are three things? What are a couple things that you would do right away? Like forget who would have to vote for it and what commissioner you'd have to get to agree with another commissioner. If you could change a couple things right now that you know would make make it easier and make it more affordable for people to stay in Miami, to create in Miami, to be artists in Miami, what are a couple things that you would do right away? So one of the big things that, that we're, it's very challenging right now for us is property insurance. So we have to come up with a way of regulating property insurance a little bit better, in my opinion. How do you do that? That's have a, a magic one. wand, right? <laughs> you do have a magic <laughs> wand. You're right. I gave you the wand. So I have the wand, right? So that is that there's a set price. You know, I'm not sure how we get there. Number two is, I think for the long-term viability of Miami-Dade County, is if you've owned a house in Miami-Dade County for 30 years and you're 75 years old, come up with a mechanism, I don't have to pay property taxes anymore or have something that I can pay my insurance so I don't have to move from my house because I can't afford it anymore. I will say, I'm, you know, I, I've already, I'm already thinking at the end of my mortgage, like I'm probably 12, <laughs> 15 years away from that being paid off and I'm thinking, how long do I have to keep working? Because you know, people are saying, oh, my social security mm -hmm. will cover it, mm -hmm. but like my, my, pro my property, between my property taxes and my insurance, you have to keep working just to pay those things. It could be thousands of dollars a month. Yep. And then the one that I would wave real big like this, mm -hmm. I'll go back to 1980 and I will create a transportation system, right? That had transit lines going out west, really planned out that you could build all around these nodes and that would have really alleviated where we're at today. Yeah, I think about when I'm driving when I'm driving east on 836 and I see a new double-decker highway coming or, or I see that big empty area between the east and westbound lanes, I think, wouldn't it be nice if there were a train here so that I could be in there rather than out here? I mean, transportation is such a big part of it too, right? It is. Yeah. It's, one, it's one of the driving factors of our situation that we're at right now. Yeah. What What is next on that front? Like, what did you, you know, kind of seeing where you are now, have, having been in this job for how long now? I started in April. Okay. It's, it's very early on in that first year. You're just figuring out, you know, where you get your coffee, right? But, but looking ahead what are some things that you you feel like could really happen that could really alleviate the situation so one is we're working uh, along with our board and our mayor obviously that you know the rtz which is a rapid transit zone came into legislation that allows you to create density on these transportation nodes use underutilized land around the metro rail station that's why you see a lot of developments going on around these transportation uh, centers because that helps if you don't have to have a car that saves you a thousand bucks if you build density in the places where people can use mass transit rather than get on the highway again, right? That is correct, right? We're also going to get very innovative on using uh, our infill program and our surtax dollars to build more uh, smaller scale type of product developments that we could get a lot of inventory out there, hit a lot of singles and doubles. We don't have to hit the grand slam every mm -hmm. time. That allows us to get on base and get that moving and making sure that uh, certain um populations are protected moving forward utilizing some of our hud programming elderly you know our communities aging in place so you go to an area i use an example westchester there's no elderly housing in those areas so people don't want to sell their home because they have nowhere to go they don't want to leave their community that's a domino effect because usually somebody sold their house became a starter home to a new couple 
and you know where the, the circle goes right now that's not occurring because somebody has a house that they don't want to sell so it's creating mechanisms to have more affordability well alex i'm going to take back my magic wand and i'm no, going to give it back thank you for spending <laughs> the hour with us right, thank you our guest today was alex baina he's the director of public housing and community development for miami-dade county and that's sundown for monday october 30th Leslie Ovalle-Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your favorite podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program... Going through life with no filter. That was a blessing and a curse for author Roberto Carlos Cruz Garcia. His journey to understand a life with ADHD is the focus of his debut book, Sweet Boy, The Unintentional Offender. We'll try to keep it radio friendly. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only.